You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Lovely morning once again here in the UK. It's Monday, August the 1st, the start of a new month, the start of a new week. And I've chosen the wrong weekend not to be in TW11 because it was to TW11 to the Lensbury Club in Teddington where the Lionesses returned triumphant last night to a, to a hero's welcome after the wonderful performance at Wembley. I, however, am out in rural Oxfordshire uh, today, coming to you from a very beautiful part of the world, visiting uh, my brother and his family out here. Of course, spent last week at Glorious Goodwood. Much to take out of that. A little later in the programme, I'll be discussing the World Pool, the, the co-mingled parimutuel tote pools that are generating large but unsubstantiated revenues for British racing. I'll be speaking to the chief executive of the Tote UK, Alex Frost, and be asking him why all the fuss about Whirlpool and why should British racing care about it as much as it appears to. And of course, it's an awful lot easier to really hook people into the sport when the sport is of very high quality. And first, I welcome Cornelius Lysett, broadcaster and journalist, to the show. Uh, your thoughts, first of all, on Goodwood last week in the round, Cornelius. It was genuinely excellent. That was a wonderful uh, Goodwood Cup uh, on the first day. And uh, what one of the finishes of the year, I suspect that will uh, end up being with Kiprios uh, beating Stradivarius and Trushan. Uh, what, what else did we have during the week? But uh, Bayed, absolutely uh, wonderful again. And uh, immediately talking about uh, that horse going on to the uh, international stakes at York, extra couple of furlongs. If anything, that would probably make uh, the, the horse, uh, I suspect, even better. So uh, loving, was loving that. Loved William Haggis, uh, a, a regular on this podcast. He likes to keep his feet on the ground, doesn't he? And, uh, and is always joking with the media. You want me to come out with that golden quote? Well, I don't think I've got it. And then in the next breath, practically says, uh, for Jim Crowley, it must be like riding a motorbike in the Tour de France against the cyclist. So uh, that was uh, terrific. Uh, Holly Doyle and Nashua, superb. Uh, as well in uh, the Nassau Stakes, and uh, you know that 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 filly is now such a, a standard bearer, un reputation undented uh, for the uh, three-year-olds. Uh, wonderful um, trial for the St Ledger by New London as well. Couple of terrific performances by two-year-olds. Uh, everybody is talking about uh, Royal Scotsman, who, which was wonderful, but uh, also a terrific. Uh, performance uh, by the um, uh, Richard Fahey's horse, but the, the Platinum Queen as well. Um, and um, oh, it, it went it went on and on. Um, uh, the, the Stewards Cup, uh, a great result for, for trainer Michael Dodds as well. Michael Dodds, who, who went to Goodwood with three runners, or he didn't actually come down from his base in the northeast of England, but had three runners at Goodwood, won the nursery, ridden by Holly Doyle, won the Stewards Cup again, historic success 
for Comanche Falls and his other runner, uh, Tinto, finished fifth in the Stewards' Cup and at one point looked as though it might win. So uh, a great week for uh, that. It wasn't all glorious. We'll talk about that more in a second. A couple of uh, points to make against it uh, as well. Oh, and, and the one other thing uh, was the, the whirlpool, uh, the amount of money bet into that. I know you're going to talk more about that on the podcast a little bit later on. But uh, an amazing uh, figure there, up 65%, I think, to just under £100 million uh, bet on the race during the week. And unquestionably, uh, it was spread right, uh, right the way across the week. Uh, and that was a real good result uh, for, um, for British and indeed world racing as well. So all in all, uh, from uh, the uh, first day through until the Stewards' Cup, I thought it was tremendous stuff. A little more detail in a moment. As Cornelius says, I'll be talking to uh, the Tote UK's Chief Executive, Alex Frost, about Whirlpool and why it's uh, important for, for British racing uh, in, in a few moments' time. But first of all, let's hear from the man who struck with Comanche Falls in the Stewards' Cup. He became the first horse to win back-to-back editions of this historic handicap since 1968. Uh, Michael, that is an indication of just how difficult this task is. How proud are you and the team of what your horse has achieved? Well, you've got to be proud of everybody, really. I mean, you know, it was we we went there on totally different ground. Um, we 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 felt we'd got in the right place with the draw. Dave Yates gave us a hand with the face charts, and and we felt we always wanted to be middle to high. There was some speed came out early in the draw, and we followed those. Bit surprised that a lot of people were going low, but we were happy where we were. But then, I mean the. With, with what we decided, Connor decided he wasn't going to, he had to keep him up to his work early on because he, it was going to be difficult to pick horses off if, if we if we got detached by anywhere. But uh, I mean, I think to be honest, I think it's really only just sinking in now, just just what an achievement it is and very proud of the horse and the staff and, and everyone involved. And it's come uh, in alignment with a flurry of success for the yard over the last couple of weeks. Um, is it fair to say corner turned, or are these just things the way the way things pan out? Um, possibly. I mean, we we had we had been getting a lot of seconds. The horses were running well, and then we always struggle a little bit if the ground's very firm. And we had horses coming on a bit jarred up, so we were we were careful what we were running, and probably we weren't running you know horses that had the best of chances because of the ground, really. But uh, no, I mean, it, it was an achievement. And as I say, we're, we're very proud of the horse and, and everyone involved. And Comanche Falls is a, a half-brother to, to Dakota Gold, a 14-time winner for you and a pattern race winner to boot. Uh, I bet you'd like to bottle a bit of that, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, unfortunately, uh, the mother of them died having Comanche Falls. Otherwise, we'd have been hoping for a few more. But uh, no, I mean, it, it's unbelievable for the, for the owners. Um, to have both horses and and to have had, had the success that they've had, it's you know it's incredible, really. I mean, it, with Comanche Falls, I mean, it's I keep complaining to the race planning about it, but early on, you know, he was rated 103, and there was all the handicaps were one just not to 100s. Even the Stewards Cup at Scotland that he won last year, this year was only a not to 100 again. And it's hard to place these horses, which is why, you know, we were totally against going to Epsom with him because I knew it wouldn't suit him, but I needed to get a run and he just hated it. And then we need to run, obviously, before the Wokingham. And uh, he had that that blip in the Wokingham and I thought, right, I'll just sit now and and wait for the Stewards' Cup. And uh, the plan 
plan work out well. Yeah, for those who who aren't familiar, the blip in the working was that he he ducked uncharacteristically uh, out of the stalls, having reared and um, and got rid of of David Pro, but who normally Connor Beasley rides him. Is he a horse that takes a bit of knowing? He is, yeah. I mean, Connor, we had two in the races, you know, and Connor rode the other horse, and. Uh, but it, it it was. I mean, we've we've. He's always been a little bit funny in the stalls, but not not, you know, never done anything like that. And I think he'd have probably been all right, David. But unfortunately, when he he reared so high, David hit his head and half was half dazed and had no chance of staying on. I mean, he was, you know, luckily luckily wasn't wasn't injured worse more badly. But uh, no, it, it's it's come right now, and and so we're delighted with everything. The other point I wanted to, to, to note was that I, I walked the track on, on Saturday and I only saw two jockeys walking the course. Now, 28 might have walked the course for all I know, but the ones I did see uh, were Ben Curtis and Connor Beasley. Um, uh, preparation is everything in these circumstances. Your relationship with him is obviously a very good one. Yeah, yeah, obviously. He's, he was an apprentice, he was apprenticed here and yeah, then he had that bad accident was off. And, but he's, he's just very, very professional and, and he's a grafter and... And, you know, it amazes me. It does amaze me with these jockeys that, you know, they'd rather sit in the in the changing rooms, a lot of them, rather than actually go out and have a look at the track. And, and there are a few who do it, but there's a lot of them would rather just get there and, you know, sit and have a cup of tea. But they should get out there and have a look at the track, but uh, them do, unfortunately. So um, I'm guessing this horse's season does not take an awful lot of planning, Michael. There are several of these big sprint handicaps will he run in any or all of them well the plan would be probably to to well the plan at the moment is to go for the air girl cup but obviously he's, he's going to have a fair old weight in it but that's that's the plan and uh, i can't see him having a lot of racing between now and the end of the season because there's not the races there unless we step him up into listed or group company but uh, i wouldn't think we'd run him again before the air girl cup but that that would be the plan um you know, we'll go there and, and, and hope that things go according to plan. And the momentum could continue in a rather beautiful way today at, at Ripon in the 325 because step forward, half-brother Dakota Gold. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, the ground will suit him. He's, he's, he's eight-year-old now and um, Tim Easterby's horse has an obvious chance, hyper-focus. But look, he's won on the track. Um, he seems in good form and, you know, whatever happens, I think he'll run well. Trainer Michael Dodds and, and Cornelius, David Yates, even though he's he's not doing the Monday podcast, which often he does, uh, he will be purring, I would imagine, listening to listening to Michael's interview there. Yeah, I think he's unavoidably, unavoidably detained at the Ditchling Wine Society, isn't he? And uh, uh, this is an important social event in the calendar of the southeast of England. Um, yeah, uh, he, but basically what happens, and you, you're, you're the host, uh, that uh, there is a ceremony for the draw. And uh, I, I don't know, I, th- I think if I was a racing fan, uh, especially at Goodwood and a fan of the Stewards' Cup, and you actually see the draw taking place in front of the weighing room there, I think it's a, a fabulous insight into what happens um, what, what happens behind the scenes. And um, various journalists have brought forward to represent trainers who won't be there. And I was actually unavailable. Michael, I'd like to count Michael Dodds as, as a friend. And last year he said, could I represent him when the, the draw was being done for Comanche Falls? And I said, sadly, I had to do something else. But uh, could I recommend David Yates, newsboy of the Daily Mirror and a regular on the Nick Luck podcast? And he said, of course. And David took it as seriously as you would expect him to, 
producing pace charts and this, that, and the other. And the horse went and uh, went and, and won last year. And then Michael rang me midweek and said, you know, I'm, 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 I like to keep, uh, keep things sort of steady and keep things the same. He said, I won't be going to Goodwood on Saturday. Last year, I didn't go. And this year, uh, I'm going to go to Thursday. And the other thing he said, I hope you don't mind. We're gonna, I'm going to ask Dave Yates to do it again. So obviously, he did it again. Uh, the horse won. And we have a little WhatsApp group of, of uh, I was going to say senior journalists, probably dinosaur racing journalists, including uh, Mr. Yates and myself and the two Marcuses, Marcus Tannen of the Mail and Marcus Armitage of the Telegraph. And uh, one of our number sent this message. I, I won't quote it directly because this is a family podcast, but it started bleeping hell. Another 12 months of Yates going on about pace maps. Uh, but um, certainly uh, it was uh, a testament to the to the skill and the um, and the good fortune that surrounds Dave that uh, Comanche Falls went and did it again. So lots to be positive about coming out of, of Glorious Goodwood, uh, Cornelius. What about things that you would like to see improved or things that you didn't think were quite up to scratch? Well, the, the attendance thing, you know, one doesn't want to go on about the attendance because we know what the trends are. But looking at the numbers from last week, it was striking that the total num- number attendance for the week was 95,000. Well, that's, that's down from just under 100,000 in 2019, the last comparable year. Uh, the first three days, they did well, uh, up about the same and uh, up in terms of numbers from 2019. And those, of course, the days uh, with the best horses in action, the horses in the Goodwood Cup, uh, Baid in there as well, uh, Holly Doyle and Nashua uh, too, and other very good horses. Then I don't think anyone disputes they've tinkered with the cards. So the Friday and the Saturday are more populist, if you like. They want people to come, uh, but uh, they, they they suspect that they, the, 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 appeal of, the real aficionados are probably going to concentrate on the first three days. So those first three days, really popular. Aficionados love them, uh, and the racing's of a very high quality. Then the last two, it's more trying to get people who aren't necessarily racing regulars to come. And the numbers were definitely down on those two days. So I, I see Adam Waterworth has said that uh, he and the clerk of the course uh, will just look at, um, at what, whether they need to tinker with the programme again. I'm, I'm being nitpicking here to an extent because I thought it was pretty glorious. But the last two days I watched on television uh, and I love racing. So I was wanting to see what's going on elsewhere, whether it was Newmarket or Thirsk or wherever. And the fact is that races go off late there all the time at Goodwood. And I, I dare say they go off late across the board. And I'm sure your producers at Racing TV probably pull their, pull their hair out sometimes that for no apparent reason, racing seems to be going off late. Admittedly, the Stewards Cup, there was an issue with one of the horse's shoes. But of 37 races staged, including the Arab race last week, uh, only five went off on time. And none went off ridiculously late. But the fact is, it's a busy old schedule. Uh, and uh, sometimes you just wonder whether uh, there's a, a real sense of urgency on some of these occasions. The fact is that fans want to watch Goodwood, but they want to watch the other meetings as well. Uh, and sometimes you see them meandering across the downs in the sunshine, like it's a sort of Sunday afternoon walk. I just wonder whether there needs to be a little bit more of a sense of urgency. But, you know, these, these are nitpicking things. I thought, on the whole, it was excellent. And a final thought about one of the races, the Magnolia Cup. I thought that was uh, a really interesting race for, for British racing and British sport as well. Uh, the fact that uh, the riders who took part in it before the race took the knee 
Um, and uh, that was a, a really striking image. Ashley Wichard, uh, successful on dark shot in the race. Uh, and uh, she, she was making, as well as wanting to win the race, she wanted to make a statement. It was a really striking statement as well. And uh, I think good on her, to be honest. And she was a very engaging guest a couple of times on this podcast last week, as you heard. And all to tip our hats to Dark Shot, all she, she wrote, because he wheeled out in Ran the another Cup, cracker. Stewart's Cup <laughs> Consolation and was only beating a couple of necks. So uh, that was quite a, a notable double. The size of the field was disappointing there, wasn't it? Very. Uh, for, the, for, for, for that. I don't think it was spectacular last year either, but um, that certainly continues to concentrate the minds on the, the, the size of fields. And... Um, you know, that, that was clearly one of the themes you were talking on the podcast last week to Peter Saville with all his ideas uh, about the future of racing. And, you know, field sizes is very, very, very high in his mind, isn't it? Because it's so important for uh, every aspect of racing, including the, the betting side of it, which clearly is uh, very important when we go forward towards the funding. Well, one, one of the central planks of that, uh, as we're now calling it Saville Report, as we talked about extensively on this podcast last week was the continuing success, or that's what we like to think of it as anyway, the continuing success of Whirlpool, this globally commingled uh, parimutuel tote. Chief Executive UK tote, Alex Frost, is with me now. Alex, I just thought off the back of uh, Glorious Goodwood, it was, it was useful just to, to try and answer a few important questions that have been thrown in my direction over the last few days. And first of all, for those people who aren't regularly betting into a pool, what actually is the world pool? Who runs it? Where does it operate? Who's betting into it? Thanks, Nick. Yeah, no, I, th- I think probably it's best done with analogies because pools aren't things we are perhaps daily, on a daily basis, used to. But if you think of how the success of Euro Millions has been so, um, so omnipresent, um, you look at what Whirlpool stands for. Whirlpool is a very similar concept. You're basically unifying or bringing together the pools in respective countries. So you're all betting into one. It becomes a much more exciting proposition, just as um, the national lottery becomes a more exciting proposition under the Euro Millions banner, when basically customers are um, wagering for, for you know, upwards of 100 million rather than the, the smaller pots we, we're used to in, in the national lottery. But it, essentially, that becomes self-marketing and it brings the, the world together to, you know, watch big events that we have in the UK, like, like Glorious Goodwood. How do you determine which days are world pool days? Who determines that and how is it determined? Yeah, that's a very good question and, and it's not well understood. Um, essentially, it comes out of, directly out of Hong Kong um, who host um, Whirlpool as things stand, and they've been utterly brilliant at, at forwarding the concept. How are the day specifically chosen? They're chosen by the Hong Kong Jockey Club going to the Hong Kong government and requesting incremental days to simulcast and, and bring together under the Whirlpool banner, um, which essentially means that they can extend their, their race um, on betting opportunities from their 85 domestic days to what is currently around 37 international days that still leaves huge scope in their calendar yeah massive scope so what does british racing have to do to uh, satisfy that that potential to get more world pool days yeah well i think crucially um 
you know, we, we, we needed to demonstrate just how successful the concept could be in its most pioneering form, which is currently where we sit. And I think they've been um, not shocked, but certainly pleasantly surprised by the level and the immediacy of, of progress. I mean, if you look at Goodwood last week, you know, we're up 65% on last year. These are huge growth numbers um, almost immediately. And Hong Kong referring these to being in, in stage one of five. What do you specifically we have to do? I think we just have to keep doing what we're doing, showing that it's a really, really interesting wagering prospect. We sit in the most fabulous time zone for Asia. Um, you know, our races are broadcast late in their evening, which sits very, very well with their consumers. Um, we have um, a highly respected regulatory regime here, um, hugely respected level of integrity in our racing. And obviously the quality is extremely high as well. So we sit very, very well. We are just now absolutely um, in, in sixth gear in, in putting our case forward for, for incremental days. And that's the process. So why were only the first three days of Glorious Goodwood whirlpool days? What was wrong with the final two from an international perspective? Yeah, nothing's wrong with the final two. It's just the, the, um, the, the amount of days we could get. And they were keen to spread the days across um, um, UK fixtures, particularly in their off-season. Um, their off-season is essentially our summer. Um, Hong Kong racing closes down for that period, so it's a real sweet spot for us to be able to put opportunities forward to them. Um, they were keen to, to um, bring York on board as well as Goodwood. Um, you've obviously had all the, um, the likes of the Guineas and the Derby, etc. as well. So they want this to be a, a world concept. It, you know, it's gone as far as South Africa, um, and it will um, cross the world as, as we go through the rest of the season. But in terms of, you know, those are three really, really good days at Goodwood. And likewise, we're going to hopefully see three fabulous days at York. But, but how, so how much does each day generate for the individual race course? Um, that's really a question for, for the race courses themselves to answer. But um, And they've been rather well, reticent to do so, Alex, haven't they? Um, well, we could do with a bit more transparency on that front. I th- it's, it, first and foremost, it's an incredibly exciting proposition. Seeing this level of growth, seeing this level of prize money increase, I think is demonstrable from the racecourse's perspective as to how um, much it's changed their financial model. But I think going forward, we've actually got something really good to discuss. You know, this is huge levels of growth, huge levels of revenue coming into the industry. Um, it's a really, really positive situation. Uh, but how much? How, so how much per fixture? Well, I know Win- Winfred engelbeck Breskis gave a pretty a ballpark figure last year. Can you just p- put some put some meat on the bones? Yeah, no, he referred to a figure between um, half a million and eight hundred thousand per fixture, um, and I think we're seeing sort of incremental growth since then. So it's you know it's a complex dynamic in terms of um, how we get our share as the UK of a big global pool. But, um, so, that, so that's so that that's that's five hundred thousand to eight hundred thousand that's being made by whom? That goes directly to the race courses. To, which, so that so to the individual race course. So Goodwood would make, for example, for argument's sake, even at the lower end, half a million pounds a day out of out of whirlpool fixture. Exactly, exactly. And I think you know they've been very very quick to pass that enterprise money. Um, you've seen. I think it's prize money got by 30-40% in terms of the Whirlpool days this year versus last year. So it's a really competitive um, environment. They need to win more Whirlpool days. We need to help them win more, more Whirlpool days. And the best way of doing that is by attracting 
international runners by having the brilliant fields that Google had, had this week. So I think you know the competitive dynamic is really there for all to see, you know, and it's not by no means lost on the race courses. And and how does that how does the tote make more money out of the whirlpool? Um, another very good question. Um, we we at the moment are very much in the demonstrative stage. We're trying to show customers the, the value of liquidity. Um, we've taken our margins right right down. So you'd have seen you know incredible odds throughout the whole week. I think we beat SP pretty much every race during Goodwood. Um, there were some huge um, returns for, for customers. That's so we had to make it a very very compelling proposition for customers. Um, huge amounts of liquidity per race. You know you can bet into pools of four to five million per race, um, which is previously unseen in the UK. So hopefully it becomes, you know, we, we can not only live under the banner of winners welcome, but it's also also a decent proposition for winners. Um, we make our share um, as um, the, the online operator. Um, and that's really kind of what we need to put our head down and get right. Uh, make sure that, that pool betting is a much more relevant proposition as it is in all successful racing countries around the world. If they, you know, there's no precedent whereby if a country doesn't have a successful tote, um, there's no successful racing industry underneath or sustainable one at that. And then, and then how does British racing um, benefit from, from your share, the share that you make? Is that all payable to your private shareholders or is, that, is part of that payable back to the, back to the sport? It's very much set up in fixed um, mechanisms that, that um, whether it be the levy, um, whether it be the, the um, structures we have with race courses, um, the structure we have with the industry more broadly. And what we tried to do really at the outset is, is show that the tote can do what it does in other countries, um, whereby a fixed mechanism rewards every penny, every pound that, that comes through the tote comes back into racing in, in some form. Um, we've clearly got to remain solvent in the meantime. <laughs> um, I think that um, is the only thing shareholders are really pushing upon us. Um, we are marginally profitable, but you know, um, you can hopefully see just how much we are structured to generate for the sport. I think what people miss in the UK perhaps is just how powerful an international tote can be. I think people are always transfixed by wanting the tote to be nationalised and the UK consumer to be um, the provider of funds for, for UK horse racing. I think that's massively missing the point. And the point surely is that we are watched the world over um, and better on the world over. And the tote is the perfect mechanism to harbour those huge, huge international revenue streams that we're seeing from the likes of Asia, um, which can really transform our sport. If if a race course, say, like Ascot or Goodwood or York was making at the bottom end, say, half a million, at the top end, maybe a million or, or more a day out of, out of their involvement in Whirlpool, do you think that they should be compelled to release those figures so that the sport know what money they're making and therefore they can be held to account as regards how much prize money they are then contributing back to the pot? I th- I th- we... we, we shouldn't try and solve everything in one fell sweep. I think the first thing we were all sort of geared to, to get towards was to generate proper, proper revenue streams, frankly, to, uh, to allow this sort of conversation, um, to literally try and do things in, in the right order. And, you know, I think we're getting to a good stage now whereby we can have these conversations. But in turn, you know, if you look at these whirlpool fixtures, they are, you know, the prize money increases um, have been have been really really significant 
you only have to go to York next um, in a couple of weeks' time, and you'll see you know huge, huge price point increases over the last few years. So, you know, the process is working in a, in a very natural way, almost immediately. Um, going forward, as I say, when we our conversations with Hong Kong um, recently, they've referred to this being as the first of five stages. They are extremely ambitious and excited about how much of an impact they can have on global horse racing. They have huge vested interest in the success of global horse racing, none more so than in the UK and Ireland. That was the chief executive of the UK Tote, Alex Frost, talking about the whirlpool, which, as Cornelius was saying earlier on, is clearly going to be quite an important plank if if elements of the Savile plan, as we're now calling it, are going to be are going to be adopted in the next couple of years. Cornelius, let's look ahead now to what we've got to enjoy this week. People think of this as a quiet week. They're not looking further than, than Britain, if they say that, because tomorrow we've got Group 1 action in France. We've got a big Group 1 in, in Ireland on Saturday, and then we're back to Deauville on Sunday. There's lots going on. There is indeed uh, plenty going on. Let's not forget the Brighton Festival, uh, which uh, is taking place at Brighton Racecourse uh, this week, a hugely uh, popular event at a, a slightly different level. Um, in, in terms of the pre-Rothschild uh, taking place this week, uh, that is uh, taking place in France and really intrigued to see Saffron Beach in action there. Runaway winner at the, the Duke of Cambridge Stakes at Royal Ascot. Should just mention as far as racing in Britain is concerned, the Racing League starts this week as well. That starts on Thursday at uh, Doncaster. Uh, then at the weekend, uh, the Keeneland Phoenix Stakes uh, Group 1 at the Curra Throw a few names into the pot. Aesop's Fable that made a big impression at Navan. Uh, Blackbeard, pre-Robert Papin winner at uh, Chanty, fourth in the Coventry. Bradsell, the Coventry winner, Holly Doyle on board that. Persian Force, winner of the July Stakes, second in the Coventry, with Royal Scotsman uh, breaking the course record at Goodwood last week in third. Johnny Murtis, good horse, uh, Shatash, which won the Railway Stakes statuette. Uh, daughter of Justify uh, in there as well. So that has the potential to be a really intriguing race in Ireland at the weekend. Uh, the, the international theme uh, from Goodwood continues this weekend, but at Ascot, uh, and we've got the Shergar Cup. Frankie de Tory is uh, a captain, Jamie Spencer, Hayley Turner is uh, a captain as well. But some of the names coming from uh, around the world, Kerry McAvoy will be a, a welcome returnee to the UK, Takashiki, Yokoyama from Japan, Christophe Lemaire from Japan as well. From Germany, René Pajelak, the rider of Torquato Tasso, uh, he's in action too. So there is lots of good stuff. Some people go on holiday between Goodwood and York, but what are they missing out on? Uh, it turns out really quite a lot. Well, we always like to represent the owner's views on this podcast, whether it's in triumph or despair. Okay, I might be over-egging it a bit with that word, but... The Ursa Major Ownership Syndicate was certainly disconsolate at Lingfield on Saturday night after the uh, disqualification of Kath's Toy Boy uh, after finishing first past the post. Ursa Major's Andrew Morris joins me now. Andrew, what happened? Yeah, morning, Nick. So um, basically, Kath's Toy Boy is a horse we've had for about six months now. Um, You know, he's... It's a slightly quirky, but he's 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 reasonably genuine. He was coming through to win the race on Saturday at Lingfield when he did veer slightly left. Um, 
he didn't make any contact with the horse that was uh, that was awarded the race, Real Estate. Um, our jockey, Reese Clutterbuck, had his uh, whip in the correct hand. There was no contact, but we were um, demoted to second for intimidating the uh, eventual winner. So the rules on this are actually pretty clear. So the stewards have to decide, was there interference? And then they have to decide, well, if there was, who caused the interference? And might the horse that was interfered with have finished in front of the um, instigator, but for that, but for that interference. Now, on the head-on, it's a little bit less clear-cut than the side-on. I must confess, when I saw the side-on, Andrew, I thought, well, I don't know what Andrew's on about. I think, I think they're banged to rights. I think the stewards are absolutely spot on. Head-on is a bit more difficult because it's just a question of whether any any last-minute deviation on the part of the runner-up has has cost the runner-up the race rather than the initial. Um, yeah. initial interference. Now, Matt Chapman was very vociferous on, on Sky Sports Racing. He's fighting your, your corner pretty hard, yeah. and you're going to appeal. Is that right? We, yeah, we certainly are. We've, we've sat down and watched it numerous times now, and obviously Michael Keady, who's uh, the joint trainer of Cats, Toy Boy, and Reese, we've all had a discussion yesterday, and we've just decided that we're quite baffled by it, to be honest. Yes, we didn't stick to a straight line, but we were in the lead. We were clear. There was no contact. Whip was in the correct hand. And we feel that we do, you know, we feel it was very unjust that we were thrown out, to be honest. Yeah, now I got, I'll give you a bit of help with your appeal here. It doesn't matter whether his whip was in the correct hand or not, because the riding offence will be looked at, be looked at separately. But you've got to argue your case that, that you weren't the interferer, that, that the deviation, the deviation on the part of the second horse wasn't your fault. Because if, the, if it's your fault, then you're out, because he might have finished in front of you on the balance of probability. Yeah, um, yeah, but as I say, there's there's no contact. Yes, we came left, but we were entitled to do so. We we're in the lead. Um, I don't think we caused, you know, the the runner up to not not win by doing that. Um, yeah, we're a bit baffled. We, you know, we've spoken to lots of independent kind of judges as well in terms of other jockeys, valets on the night, other trainers that were there, and nobody can seemingly understand the decision. It's it's also a lack of consistency, Nick. Really, that's that's uh, annoying us. Go on, just tell me, just tell me how how you're looking at it. Because that, that's the more interesting point for me here is what this feels like for you as owners, syndicate owners, and, and, and really why it's sticking in the craw so much. Yeah, it's it, we we do feel like that. It's you know we are a small syndicate. We've got about a hundred owners across seventeen horses, um, and you see, for example, um, the Riddler in the Norfolk at Ascot when Paul Hannigan drifted wildly left, um, kept the race but got a ten day ban. And then you you know we're in our what what is a small race, but for us is kind of our Royal Ascot. We veered left. We don't make any contact, you know, and we get thrown out. But, you know, there's it doesn't feel like there's any justification. We feel like we've just been um, screwed over a bit, really. And did you did you ask the, the stewards for an explanation? Did you get the report and did somebody come out and say, well, look, this is why this is why you've been disqualified? Yeah, Michael spoke to the stewards um, and he, he kind of said, well, you know, they told us it was intimidation. Um, we shifted left-handed, intimidated the runner-up off its intended line, um, and he, he voiced his concerns with them. But you know, there's little you can do, really. So the, as I said, you know, we could you could have 15 people and they'd all have a different view on this. But the the, the key point for me is your experiences as an owner and how something like this might impinge upon those in 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 the future. 
that that's it. As I say, we're we're very you know we're quite small time really. We're growing, but we're all there on course on the night. They the owners that are there, you know, they hope they think they've got a winner, and it's been snatched away from them after celebrating it. Really, and it, it does it is you know going to have a negative impact on their feelings. You know, that's why we're determined to fight for them and get get their first place back. Well, we'll keep you up to speed on exactly what happens there. Thanks to Andrew. Thanks to all my guests today. Cornelius is still with me. He has a tip to send you into August on a winner. I'm going to take you to the, uh, I think they call it the Garden Racecourse, the Ripon Racecourse in North Yorkshire, the 325, the Wilmot Smith Memorial Handicap. I would love to go for Comanche Falls brother, Dakota Gold. Uh, and the horse is gradually coming back into form. And the Dodds team, which wasn't in great form until the middle of last week, going really strongly. Uh, but I think it's going to be a struggle to beat hyper-focus in this race, uh, trained by Timmy's to be the mount of David Allen. The 325 at Ribbon, hyper-focus. All right, Cornelius, thanks so much. Ending as we began. We'll see you again tomorrow. That was the 1st of August. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.